0: Hi, and welcome to the Greenwood Tiffany podcast. I'm your host, Tiffany Page. And in this show, we'll explore topics of sustainable living, all aspects of health and wellness of people and planet, and how we're all interconnected. Join us on this journey to live better and more sustainably by improving our health, our families, and the world with the choices that we make. and welcome to a new episode of Green with Tiffany. I'm Tiffany Page, and I have a very special guest, Rob Greenfield. He is an activist, a humanitarian, an adventurer, and really dedicated to leading the way of a more sustainable and just life and world. And he takes on these extreme projects that really highlight and draw attention to global issues and inspire change. So if you are listening, I'm doing this one as a video because I really want you to see this vision it is like nothing you've ever seen. Yeah, we're gonna talk about that. He's also a writer, a speaker, and just an all-around great guy. Really leading by example. He is a dude out there making a difference, and my friend, Rob Greenfield. All right. Nice oh. to be here with you, Tiffany. I'm so happy you're here, Rob. <laughs> okay, we're going to right away address the elephant in the room, or I mean, I should say trash suit in the room. This is incredible. So you started this on Earth Day. Yeah. And I get to be here now for the finale. This is day 30. Yep. Okay, so tell us about this project and sure. where you're at with it.
1: The average person creates about five pounds of trash per day, but for most people, it's pretty out of sight, out of mind. You know, we we just throw it in the garbage can and never think about it again. And so I wanted to create a visual that shows just how much our trash adds up as one person. For the last 30 days, I've been living like the average person, eating, shopping, consuming. But the catch is I've had to wear every piece of trash I've personally created, and I'm up to 72 pounds of trash.
0: That is wild. So now I know personally that you don't live like this normally and you probably don't eat or drink of some of these things either. So this is just what like the average person does.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So as of course, as you know, my goal is to live in a way that's in alignment with the earth and that includes creating as little trash as possible. But for the month, I've just been floating along in the breeze of consumerism, just kind of simulating the life of what you see in the movies, what you see um, in the news, just sort of your typical the American dream, you could say. And that's the reason why is if I would just lived my normal life, there wouldn't be a whole lot <laughs> to see. And I want people to be able to look at this and to be able to ask the question, is that what I would look like if I held on to all of my trash for a month? Like, Is that how much trash I'm creating? So I want this to serve as a mirror for others to be able to self-reflect on their own way of interacting with the earth. It's
0: incredible. You know, I'm looking, I'm looking and I'm like, what did he have? And What is he using? And, you know, if you look at people's grocery baskets at the, at the grocery store and see what they're buying, now I'm looking like what you're using and what your trash is. And I, I purposely wanted it to be against this white wall and really showcase what this this trash suit is all about. So what has been the response when you're out there walking around?
1: Well, um, one response is myself consistently seeing myself in the windows and just laughing because it's just (laughs) ridiculous and... The response has been, it's been incredible. The the beginning is the most confusing part because I have this specially designed trash suit that's got these clear pockets that are designed to be able to hold the trash and they're expandable so that it can grow. So day one, I just have this huge plastic suit on with a few pieces of trash and it's just like, okay, what are you doing? And it took about seven to 10 days before the visual started to be powerful. And then about four or five days ago, it was like, wow. I mean, it is even I myself every day, I'm astounded by the amount of trash I'm wearing. 72 pounds of trash. I'm wearing it. Every single place that I go, whether I go grocery shopping or out to eat or go to the mall or if I want to go to the beach, everywhere I go, and it's been, I would say, the number one feelings that I've been hearing from people are shock, intrigue, curiosity, and then that a lot of the time leads to the next step of inspiration, like the wake-up call to instantly like, wow, that's what I'm doing. Thank you for showing me, and I'm totally going to do something about this.
0: Which is your goal, right? That's like to inspire the change. So if you're hearing a little bit... Um, if you're listening and hearing him a little bit of ruffling, it's because he's wearing the suit. And actually, he's quite quiet in comparison to what I think I'd be hearing. I'm trying not <laughs> to move too
1: much. If I really move, you know, that's what you hear when I'm walking down the street with every step.
0: <laughs> so I was with you on on day 10. It wasn't quite as big. Definitely still a visual, though, and people were coming up and asking if it was an art installation or what is this, you got to tell me. And so have most people... Do they know what it is or they really just have no idea and they come to you and they're like, what is going on?
1: Yeah, well, there's a lot of people that don't know. I mean, for one, a lot of people just really never question our trash in the first place. So they wouldn't look at this and be like, oh, well, he must be showing us how much trash we create because it's just so far outside of their mind. Um, a lot of people really want to hide it. They don't want to think about it. You know, our society has designed, our trash systems, to be out of sight, out of mind, to create the idea that there's, in a way, that you can just throw things away. So there's definitely a lot of people also who have just been. St- just darn right confused. Like, what is this guy doing? Of course, there's plenty of people that have confused me as someone who, you know, have assumed that I have a a mental illness of some sort or people that assume that I'm experiencing homelessness. And but then they hear me talk and they're like, oh, okay, I see he has a point. And one of the most powerful thing was to see people that went from disgust, because there's a lot of people who looked at me with disgust over the last month. And to see them go from disgust... Because... People are disgusted by the trash, and they go from disgust to ten seconds later wanting to take a photo and be like, "I love it." So that's been amazing to see that this how this visual has been able to turn people around.
0: What a huge economy that is wild! So, and you've been on some, you know, I've seen you on the news now with this. What are you gonna? Do you know what you're gonna do now after day thirty? I mean, you're you're done with it, but what's what are you, hmm. what are you doing with it? I can't you know? believe
1: it. I'm on day thirty. It's like hard to imagine. This is it's kind of maybe setting in that I don't actually that I could actually go for a walk tomorrow without the trash shoot I could move I could propel my body forward without the burden of consumerism with every step that will be a relief and to go swimming so what I'll be doing is I'm I'm going to be touring California. So I'm doing San Diego, La Jolla, Laguna Beach and then Venice or Ventura, Santa Barbara, Santa Cruz, San Francisco, Oakland. And I'll bring the trash suit. I'll wear it in all of these cities. So kind of bringing it on tour and doing more media and, you know, social media and just now the suit is it's it's shocking and the visual is really eye catching. So now my job is to get out there and and, uh, continue to shake people up.
0: Amazing. Well, now it really is like an art installation because you'll be taking it and showcasing it. Yeah. So I wanted to share how I met Rob, which is kind of a funny story. I met him on um, Twitter, actually.
1: (laughs) Uh, Yes, Twitter.
0: (laughs) And at the time, that extreme project where you were showcasing was dumpster diving. And you were showcasing how much food waste is happening in the world and I wanted to see this for myself. I you know, I didn't know. And so we we went on. He he escorted me on a, a dumpster dive for the first time. And I was all for it, but you know. Rob doesn't really wear shoes too much, or not at all usually, and we went in this dumpster, and we were going to do a dumpster smoothie, and I wanted to have, you know, more encased food. And I tell you, the dumpster we went in wasn't as grand as some of the ones I've seen photos of.
1: It was a little dirty. (laughs) It was the stumps in Point Loma
0: okay so it was a grocery it was a grocery yep. store big dumpster in the back and um, we we hopped in I had boots on up to my knees but he was barefoot and you know it kind of had like just random stuff in there like loose lettuce it had like a melon yep. but it did have like a couple bananas um, an apple that he picked up and ate <laughs> And, um, we took, you know, some of that produce and we ended up making a dumpster smoothie. Mm. And so that's how we met. And we've been fast friends ever since. Yep. And then you had your tiny house, which was, um, in Southern California and what was it like 50 square feet? Yeah, 50
1: square feet. It was little.
0: And so I came into did a little tour, but he had really, he had a really nice outdoor space with that. Yeah. Um, and he was composting and he had a little garden and then he had the compost toilet Mm. which was the humanure is that right so i got to experience that as well yeah so you you know turned me on to these kind of more extreme well at the time i consider them more extreme ways you know i'm a green girl but when i met rob i actually felt bad because i felt like i wasn't doing more and i had to do what rob was doing and baby steps some steps are better than no steps and I don't know. It's, it's a, I find it a little harder for a girl, but I'd like you to tell me what you think of you, what you find along hmm. the way. I mean, you were talking about, I think I read that you had like 111 possessions.
1: Yeah. And what are you down to now? Like 40? Well, I got it down to 44. 44. Okay. But currently I don't have 44. Yeah, but
0: I have like 44 in my makeup bag, right? <laughs> yeah. So like, ah, how do you do it? How do you do it? So, but I am mindful, right? Like I think the biggest thing is to start to be aware. Yeah. One right?
1: bit at a time for sure. Of so, what you're
0: using and doing
1: like when you and I first met, you know, I think it was nine years ago, I was living in a three bedroom apartment and I had the biggest room in the apartment at first. I think maybe when you and I met, I had already moved into the closet, but you know, I like for me, when it comes to like simplifying and downsizing our life, it, it takes a lot of work. I mean, so many of us, we are, we're, we have been somewhat trapped into this, into this rat race. Like we have so many of us, we didn't grow up with this idea that we were just simply complete human beings the way we were. We were, we grew up with the idea that we needed to prove ourselves with the, the material possessions that we had. And so it's a lot of work to, to get out of that indoctrination. And for me, it's always recommending people to start where they are to embrace who they are and to go one step at a time from there and um, that's all we can really do and some of us we have the ability to take like a bunch of steps per week some of us it's just one step per week but one step at a time breaking free from consumerism and and replacing that with deep relationships with a connection to the earth and that can mean composting growing our own food learning the plants that grow freely and abundantly all around us or going to the store, buying unpackaged food, um, you know, supporting local farmers, going to the farmer's market, ditching the disposables, all the plastics, going plastic free, like one step at a time, breaking free to live the lives that really serve us.
0: Yes, there's, like you said, there's lots of ways to do it. Now, I, interestingly, being a green girl, I'm kind of a stuff girl, but I'm not a stuff girl in the fact that I keep buying things and bringing it in. It's just I've had all these things, right? And they've accumulated over the years, over the years. Some of them I want to keep cuz I want to keep them, but some I just don't want to get rid of. I don't want to throw things away. I gave a ton to when I moved here. I gave a ton to the Salvation Army. Sometimes you sell stuff, sometimes you give stuff away. I have a lot of swag. So I just somehow accumulate stuff like we all do. Yeah. And so I need to move it to a, a, a less. I need I do need less. But like like for instance even clothes, right? I hold on to my clothes. I don't just get rid of them and buy new clothes so I have a lot of clothes but there's things that I've just had for years and years and years and years yeah. and they just stay and come back in style or they anyway so in that case I'm a little different because I know that you have you know you can just pack everything up and you're
1: you're on the move yeah well uh, I do um, I so I created a guide on how to downsize maybe you'd enjoy reading it <laughs> um, but it's at my website just robgreenfield.org slash downsize and that's Basically my it's both physical but it's also mental like cuz a lot of downsizing it's a matter of our our attachments to things or uh, our m- emotional connections whether whether a positive or not so positive one and so this guide helps people with you know breaking free from those Things and where it serves us, great. You know, the idea is to have nothing. The idea is to have things that truly serve us and then the things that don't really serve us, removing those from our lives in a way where it allows the space for us to be living beautiful, wonderful lives.
0: That's so true. You made me think of my mom actually, she kicked me out of the house. I was I mean, like four days before my 18th birthday. Okay. And I left without, with just my bag. Now I had a big tote bag. Even then I had a lot of stuff in there. So luckily I had like all my important paper. I had all my stuff that I needed with me, but I didn't have any clothes. I just left with the clothes on my back. Yeah. So actually I was probably more like you back then than now, but, but then she wouldn't let me have any of my belongings. Mm. And so I had to kind of deal. And so on one end maybe that was a good thing but maybe that is like i'm just thinking of something that why i want all my things right because i want my things that gotta hold on to my things yeah
1: yeah it's often a security yeah you know our stuff is a form of security so yeah that's interesting yeah
0: so you were talking about so one of the other projects that you kind of completed was the growing your own food and foraging a hundred percent of your food yes that's And you take on these projects that are time-consuming, right? It's, yeah. a, it's amazing. Like 30 days with this, and that's on the shorter side of what you've done. So you did this for a whole year.
1: Yes. Well, that's one thing that I've learned is that a quality existence takes time. Like to put healthy food into our bodies means spending multiple hours per day cooking and eating and, you know, chewing. We have <laughs> to chewing our food. Like a real true quality existence, and for me, it takes time. But it's beautiful time. It's time well spent. So that project was, yeah, for one year, I was the opposite of this. Could I step away from Capitalism. Could I step away from the global industrial food system and actually grow and forage every bite for the year? Um not just your vegetables and fruits and but even every calorie, all the fat, all the protein, down to even every grain of salt. I harvested my salt, my salt water from the ocean, boiled that down, and that's how I got my salt. Wow. <laughs> so down to every bit figuring out how I can connect with the earth to meet all of my nutritional needs, but also medicine. My my food was my medicine. So I grew a hundred different foods in my garden and foraged two hundred different foods from nature. And all food is medicine when it's coming from the earth. So it was all medicine, but even, you know, for me, um, raising bees and then harvesting elderberries and making my own elderberry syrup or my gingers and tumerics um, or all the different wild herbs, even my medicine, it was a time-consuming project. I was doing 20 to 80 hours a week of, of food. Whether it was, you know, being in the garden, foraging, processing food, eating. And then, of course, there was documenting the project and all of that. But it was very time consuming, but it was the most beautiful immersion in my food. Like now, everywhere I go, I can see food growing freely and abundantly all over where other people just see weeds. And I see like nutritious plants everywhere. That is
0: so amazing, especially... Now, I mean, more people, even with COVID, you know, people have hopped into, you know, a camper and have gone cruising across the country and living with less. And people are talking about growing their food with, you know, food prices going up and inflation and food shortages. And you kind of have all that knowledge it's amazing i think you know and i I, the area i live in here i mean there's beautiful plants i don't know if you've walked around and foraged i don't know what you could eat here i mean obviously there's fruit like lemon trees and orange trees um but there's so many yards and i think that whole front everybody's front yard could really be oh
1: man food it's it is really amazing so a lot of people would say like the only way to feed the planet, the, the the population, is through this mass industrial agriculture. And it's just ultimately a really informed thing to say. The reality is, is that just in the city of Los Angeles alone, if we transformed our lawns into gardens, lawns are the number one most irrigated crop in the United States. So we put more water into our lawns than any other single crop. If we were to transform just our yards into gardens, we would be fruit and vegetables self-sufficient and we would still need to get things like grains or your salt and your oils but that stuff is actually like dense and makes more sense to ship whereas shipping lettuce that's 90 percent water like not efficient but you can grow all of that and it's way better at home so i do I, i i do find it very exciting what we can do like there's so much that we can take back from systems that don't serve us in a way that improves our quality of life and the people around us and doesn't solve all the world's problems but it's like seriously meaningful what we can do
0: i'm so excited that you're kind of leading the way with that regenerative agriculture and so did you have help with with that you had help right you weren't just doing that all yourself you you kind of created these These lawn gardens along the way where
1: you were, right? Yep. So when I showed up in Orlando to do this, I had no land, um, very little growing experience, very little foraging experience. And I showed up and I knew that I needed community, that there was no way that I could do this on my own. And how I started was um, I turned people's front yards into gardens. I found people who would just love their yard to be turned into a garden, but weren't going to do the work themselves because they were busy or because they didn't have the knowledge or the resources. So I quickly had a list of a few dozen people who wanted me to turn their yard into a garden and where I could eat all the food I wanted. And so I ended up turning six yards into gardens. And that was my grocery store for the next year, just the six gardens around. It was all possible because... Like every bit of knowledge that I gained was knowledge that other people had long before me. And it was just a matter of accumulating that knowledge all altogether to be able to fully support my food needs, which... Um, took a lot of research and a lot of crunching numbers and figuring out like how many pounds of sweet potatoes do I need to plant in order to make sure I make it through this year but uh, it was yeah just an accumulation of of all the knowledge that's already around
0: did you crunch the numbers right
1: (laughs) yes I had an abundance of I never I I ate 700 pounds of sweet potatoes that year um I never ran out of uh calories or greens I uh I had a I had an abundance I had plenty of of almost everything to be able to share it that's amazing so you had like community fruit trees you have free seeds free seeds yeah primary. so during that time I launched some community programs that I've been doing for I guess most of them for about five years now community fruit trees is where we plant fruit trees in publicly accessible places where anybody can you know pick from them and enjoy the fruit Um, And the idea is to reduce food insecurity, but also just increase people's level of connection to the earth. Like, it's a very powerful thing to be able to just walk down the sidewalk and have food being growing freely and abundantly and be able to, for a lot of people see it, it doesn't have to come from the grocery store. And then there's the free seed project, which is where we provide seeds to people who don't generally have easy access to seeds. And we uh, send out seeds to ten thousand people per year. And it's a garden starter kit, so it's got like twenty varieties of different greens and herbs and veggies and uh, flowers. And the like with this one gar- with this one little envelope, they can start a you know a small to medium sized garden. So that's the whole idea of. Uh, you know the year of growing and foraging on my food this it's like yeah it's partly just that i'm having a lot of fun and experiencing life but it's also that i'm always trying to find ways to help others be able to gain the freedom from from the systems and and bring that back to to sob you know to community sovereignty to food sovereignty and to personal to just a, a personal connection with with ourselves and with our communities
0: so important did you have, I mean, you grew up in a small town in in Wisconsin. Yep. Did you have like an aha moment that made you want to choose to care about these things? Or was it some, like, how did it come together?
1: Well, so yeah, I was living a very consumeristic lifestyle for, for my teens to my mid-20s. I was very focused on material possessions and financial wealth. I had a goal of being a millionaire by the time I was 30. That was like a, a central goal to my life. So I was very much pursuing the American dream. And what happened was uh, around the age of 25, I moved out to San Diego. And I started to watch a lot of documentaries and read a lot of books. And I just learned that the American dream is basically the world's nightmare. Like, (laughs) it's this whole American dream thing is, is a big delusion. It's like, it's all based on outsourcing our destruction elsewhere and a complete like ignorance of the truth of our lives and i just said that's not what i want to be doing like i didn't realize that's what i was doing and i said all right i'm 25 i'm young i don't have like a lot of bills yet i don't have a lot of debt i don't have a family I have the ability to like radically change my life, and that's what I did. So there was no like big moment of enlightenment. It was just that I started to educate myself and I just said, Well, now that I know, there's there's no going back. Like it's I'm I'm gonna change my life and there's no buts about it. Like I'm just not gonna be sold this story by the corporations for, for the next 50 years. I want truth and, and freedom and sustainability to me is freedom. Like it's, it is the right thing in the sense of not destroying our earth, but it's also just living truth and freedom. And that's probably more, that's the most foundational thing to me.
0: It's amazing that you realize that so early on. You know some everybody's in their own time but that's pretty early because sometimes people have already gone through it kind of been in the rat race thinking that attaining everything is going to make them happy and then realizing everything that you realize but then it's harder to almost you know roll back right
1: the more you're in it the harder it is to get out i look at it as like a, a spider web a web of consumerism and They're all connected together. You have the more credit cards and bank accounts and investments and stuff and bills and debts and uh you know relationships that are based on consumerism. The more that this is all wrapped together, weaved together, the harder it is to break free. And for me, even having not been in it as much as others, it was still a full-time job to educate myself and to break free from it. Like I was spending 40 plus hours per week, educating myself and taking actions to break free. So they've really got us in there. It's possible to make break free, but like any idea that it's gonna be easy and that it's not gonna take work is, it's just not true. It takes work. Being green is work. Um, once you get there though, it's not so much work anymore because you've built up systems and you have your new norm. But it takes work to break free from the system, and um, but it's absolutely rewarding and and beautiful work. And I just don't see another option but to do the work.
0: That's very impressive. I mean, you don't have credit cards. You don't. You don't live in the same way that the the, the average consumer does. So yeah. how do you do that? Like, how do you get through? I mean, even to check in a hotel, maybe you don't do that, but you need a credit card, right? So you just do everything differently than So you kind of have to unlearn everything you've learned.
1: Yeah, it was an unlearning and then a a learning of a new way. Like one of my wake up calls was uh, Mark Boyle, the moneyless man. He was over in Ireland and he was doing a year of not using money. And that was like... Wow, you can do that. <laughs> and he was definitely one of my wake up calls of like, okay, how do I demonetize my life? How do I figure out how to meet? One more need and one more need without money. And that's community. That's that's love. That's friendship. That's family. Like, how can we exchange our skills, our resources in a way that we meet each other's needs without having to bring in money or outside corporations and such? And it's not like I give you this and you give me that. This is a lifestyle of... We're living in a way where we are freely sharing and not saying, because I'm sharing this with you, I want that from you. That would be more of like a barter system, which I'm all for, but I'm more for just trying to exist in a way where we just start to share our resources and our skills freely and abundantly. And the thing about doing that is you're not giving up anything because you're sharing your passion, your skill with others. So for me, living with less money... Is is not about scarcity. It's actually about abundance. It's an, it's about an abundance of community. It's about a, an abundance of a relationship with the earth, and it's abundance of embracing all that the earth provides to us freely, without asking us for anything, and how we can how we can live with the earth in reciprocity, where we actually are giving back while we're receiving at the same time.
0: What an amazing mindset that is it's just like a shift it's just perspective right? of what people think to what you can change it to that's amazing i wanted to go quickly back to um the dumpster dive because i don't think i touched on (laughs) the fact that you you know you've been in i don't know over a thousand dumpsters across 25 states which is obviously a really big deal but i wanted to really showcase that it wasn't about dumpster diving there are people that do that regularly i think they're called freegans and yeah. you know they can they can actually live their life choosing to have their food from a dumpster that's usually wasted but you were doing it to showcase how much food waste there is in the US which is like the number is incredible i think it was like 160 billion dollars yeah. worth of food and the amount of like 108 tons i've had i've read different things from 80 tons yeah. to 108 tons but either way all those numbers are just they're shocking to know that that much food is wasted. And now we're talking about food shortages right now. And there's like, there should be no Mm. food shortages. That doesn't, shouldn't exist.
1: Yeah. One of the things that I've heard numerous people that I respect say is there's no shortage of food. There's a distribution problem. We produce enough food in the United States to feed two entire US American populations. There's like 320 million Americans and we produce enough food to feed over 600 million Americans. So there is no shortage of food. But the thing about our food system is that it's not a food system. It's a money system. Why are they producing food to make money? It's just a commodity for them. It's So of course they're going to waste it because it's designed into the system. So of course what we need to do is radically transform the system. But um, as far as dumpster diving for for food, yeah, the idea is that For so many people, like the idea of dumpster diving for food is like, why would the only reason they would do that is if they had no other option, like they were totally down and out. But when you actually look in the dumpster and you start to see that you can eat like a king or a queen, and that you can be—I mean—collecting a thousand dollars of the food a day and anything you want, it's it's another one of those shocking ways of like flipping one eighty for people of seeing, going from the idea that. This would only be something that someone would do if they had no other option to instead look at this amazing abundance, the absurdity of it, the joy though, it's joyous. I love dumpster diving, but also the absurdity of our waste at the same time. So it's very like dumpster diving for food in a very visual way is very, you know, much in alignment with this project of wearing all of, of my garbage. It's a it's a way to shock people, to wake them up. You know, I think there's a theme here. I like to thought I like yeah. to shock people with garbage of, of different sorts. <laughs>
0: your modern day Oscar the Grouch, completely different. No Grouch, great guy, very friendly, but you know, all about the, the trash. I mean, it is I know I said that our dumpster dive wasn't like as visually shocking and I'd seen some of your photos of other ones were I mean Cases of food or drinks were just thrown away, you know, that were perfectly good. So if you're worried about, oh, it's been in the dumpster, like completely enclosed, sealed, everything. I mean, just wild. And um, it's just kind of unbelievable that that is part of our culture. And so even we were talking about expired dates versus sell-by, you know, and I was, I know people that once it expires, like in the trash it goes because that just helps them focus on, I guess, cleaning the refrigerator out or whatever the case is and stuff lasts way longer. I yeah. keep all my expired stuff and, eat and drink it, and yes. it's fine, right?
1: Absolutely. The key is that most of them don't say expiration date. They say sell by date or best by date or suggested sell by date. So keep in mind, suggested means it's a suggestion. Best Just- by doesn't say poisonous after. <laughs> um, sell by doesn't say throw in the garbage can after. Like look at the, what those words say and um those dates even were created by the manufacturers originally as you know just for themselves they weren't creating those for us to the for the people to see it was just for their own for stocking and things and then it became something that it's not which is this idea that the food is dangerous or bad after so the key again is it's about common sense and when i say sense i mean our nose our, our our eyes our our touch because when you when you learn to connect with your food you don't need to read numbers you can just look at it and you can know and that's the same with like growing foraging people are like well how do you safely forage you reconnect with the earth and these things that become com- that are completely unnatural to others as you learn one plant at a time you see okay i understand now the safety behind this all of these things that we fear so much we fear because we don't know we've lost the education but as you start to gain that education back you start to walk on this earth in in not a fearful way which goes back to truth for me like why would I want to exist on this earth in a state of fear when I could exist in a state of embracing the beauty of this place I mean that's just that's just what I want to live I want to experience this earth in a beautiful way rather than a state of fear and
0: so important yeah and yes, definitely a guide with the sell-by and the, the dated. I mean, you know, even in the refrigerator, sometimes things stay in there for a little while for me. So it, if you have no date on it, then you might not have any idea how long it's been. So I get that. But the foraging thing, mm. I don't know that one. I, and I hear you on the fear. But if you don't, like you said, if you don't know, you don't know. I mean, have you ever had a little incidents with
1: your foraging very minor yeah i mean i had one three weeks ago i ate a bit of a fire stick plant which is a euphorbia which is toxic it can blind you if you get it in your eyes what
0: what wait okay go back a fire stick what
1: fire stick it's a it's a succulent that may even be here on your property it's the one with that's like the thickness of a pencil and it grows tall and it's a succulent and it's got like it's green but it's also got like red and yellow on it okay it's around and the sap is it can burn your skin and i just you know i have so well here's the thing there's one rule to foraging for beginners. Never eat anything unless you're 100% sure of what it is. And if you do that, you'll never have any problem. <laughs> now, that doesn't mean just never learn anything, but it means learn your stuff. And if you learn your stuff, you won't have a problem. Best way to learn your stuff is to go out with other foragers. Find other foragers that you can go one-on-one, on, one, one, on one or many of them have classes that you can go out. Now, I am not a beginner forager anymore. I've foraged over 200 different species from the earth, I have like a fair bit of uh, connection, a fair bit of like data that's entered my brain from the many, many hours of, of doing it. So I have the ability to, to be able to safely generally be trying things that I don't know exactly what they are because I know enough stuff surrounding it. But the, euphor- the, the, the euphorbia of the fire stick was just one of those moments where it was just a slip up and um i was pretty nervous i was pretty nervous
0: did you think it was something else no
1: No. i just was tasting it i was just (laughs) tasting something that i didn't know what it was and then i started my mouth started to burn a little bit my throat started to burn and i was like this isn't a great burn i'm gonna look it up and then i saw that it said like sometimes people go blind if you get it in your eye and it can burn your whole mouth and i was pretty worried but then i called my plant wizard friend eric joseph lewis and we talked and he was like yeah, you're definitely fine if you're, you know, and, and I was like, I I will say though, the second half of that day, once I realized I wasn't gonna die, was a really good day. <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's a really good day. <laughs> I love the the term plant wizard. That's a cool oh, name.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, look him up, Eric Joseph Lewis. He is a he is a wizard.
0: Oh my gosh, that's amazing! All right, well maybe I'll go foraging with you. You'll have oh, to yeah. you'll have to show me that fire stick since you're saying it's here.
1: Yeah, um, which nobody would stick that in their mouth normally. But some of the things to start with is. Um, Well, nasturtium, that's growing all over the orange flowers that are in a lot of people's yards. Those are nice and spicy. Um, Lamb's quarter... It grows all over, and that's uh, relative to quinoa, and that's growing all over Los Angeles, um, wild. Of course, there's, there's your fruits, like your lemons and your oranges and things like that. And there's like pineapple guavas that are growing, dandelion and plantain. There's a lot of things where once you learn them, they're easy and you'll start seeing them everywhere. And one thing that uh, some of my friends suggest is just eating one wild thing a day. And whether that's picking one apple or one, one uh, lemon or, but, you know, one wild thing a day. And it's, uh, it's a really nice way to each day make sure you have that connection with the earth.
0: I do like that, though. That's nice. We have a lemon tree and there's quite a, f- a bit of citrus trees around the neighborhood. And it's, sometimes they're not that easy to get to. So if you are taking it, you know people might be like, what are you doing on my property? So that's un- unfortunate. People should have a little sign out. Yeah. You know, feel free to take it. Knock on so the door.
1: Much. A lot of times I knock on the door and I say, especially if I see fruit on the ground, I'll knock on the door and I'll say, hey, I was walking past and I noticed that you have lemons on the ground and I'm wondering if maybe I could take some from the tree. Or I, I would even say sometimes like, I'd be happy to clean those up and help out a little bit. If, and, and I'd love to take some lemons as well if you'd you know if you'd be cool with that. And usually they're like, yes, please, because I have more than I can eat and I feel guilty with them falling to the ground. So more often than not, the response is actually that you've just come to them of service to them rather than actually being a drain. You're, you're, you're actually adding value to their life.
0: That's nice. You had a couple of uh, avocados in the back. And I don't know if you know, but they got carried away <laughs> by a squirrel. We have it on video, he has it in his mouth, an entire an entire avocado, it's hilarious. Go squirrel. Okay, so one of your other projects that you did, well, there's so many, but um, I don't know, the, the, the bike tour, mm-hmm. was that 4,700 miles?
1: Yeah, the first time. Yep, I did. And so I biked across the country three times, which I love to bike across oh the country again. It's like the
0: Forrest Gump, like walking. You did the bike <sighs> tour. And again, you know, community helped you with that, yes. right? So they people opened their homes to you to yeah. stay. Did you, you camp or did you stay in people's homes?
1: Yeah, I like to live my life by a combination of what... What people would call self-sufficiency, you know, I would call it resourcefulness and, and, you know, building your skills and then also community. I don't like some people look at my life and they just are like, oh, he's a mooch because he actually (laughs) receives help from other people. But. I also help other people. It's about exchanging. And so unfortunately, we've been taught in the society to that you are supposed to be able to meet all of your needs on your own without needing any help from anyone. Like independence is the idea. And I want not indep- I don't want independence. I think independence is ultimately a delusion because behind every dollar we spend, we're depending on someone. We're just outsourcing it and we're just pretending it's not there. So biking across the country, um, you know, I always carry my tent and sleeping bag and water purifier. And I can, you know, pretty much exist on largely on my own. But I love to connect with others. So there's websites like warm showers org, which is a network of cyclists who host cyclists. There's couch surfing. And then I just connect with people that I meet through social media and whether it's sleeping in the backyard or Sometimes it's a wonderful bedroom, you know, sometimes it's a little cabin on a lake that someone's not using, but I I stay with a lot of people and the, I have definitely lived uh, in many ways on the kindness of other people. And and I'm happy with that. Like sometimes I don't get to give as much as I'd like to somebody in particular, but that's what I was saying earlier is it's not about linear transactions. This person gave more to you than you gave to them, and you give more to someone else than they give to you, and it's about creating that cycle of giving rather than the linear giving. It's more of a circular giving.
0: I think that's that's pretty great, and it brings community together. And I think it's more accepted or thought of when you travel abroad because when I've gone places... You know, you go out a group of people, somebody knows somebody, and now you're all introducing each other and you're from all over. Mm. And somebody would say, oh, I'm going out of town. You can stay at my place. But that didn't happen so much here as I lived here. Yeah. But it always happened abroad. People yep. were just so excited maybe because you were American and they were from another place. And, you know, so it's really just the same concept.
1: Yep. really. it is. And, and again, it's like you staying with them is a f- favor to them at the same time because they're excited because you're a traveler and they're interested and you're bringing joy to them as well like and that's what I love about crossing through these small towns in the United States on a bicycle out of bamboo or hitchhiking like people get to experience uh, a human being that they never would have met because they're not travelers and they instead get to sort of live vicariously through uh, travelers. It, it is a really beautiful gift that a lot of my friends who live this lifestyle uh, get to impart onto people. And, you know, my belief is that the thing that creates the, the greatest level of satisfaction is actually being of service to others and giving to others. And so allowing yourself to be given gifts by others is actually in many ways the best gift that you can give of course i'm not talking about doing it in a disrespectful way i'm not talking about mooching there's got to be reciprocity you're sharing stories you're sharing love you're sharing a different thought pattern so it's got to be there but uh, when it is like people get their greatest satisfaction from being in service to others
0: I agree. I, I enjoy that as well. I love the word mooching. It's such a funny word. I haven't heard that in a long time. <laughs> really? yeah,
1: I hear it all the time, man. So many people think I'm a mooch, which is just so absolutely ridiculous. But um, they have specific stereotypes that have been painted by the media and that's that's all they have. And so they just group all these things into it that aren't that aren't that.
0: So you mentioned this warm showers org. That's interesting. Yeah. So we can actually transition into your no showering for, oh, sure. was that how long? A year?
1: It actually ended up being a thousand days. It was originally just going to what? be a year, but I went a thousand days without a shower.
0: Okay. All right. Here we go. I don't think I could do that. <laughs> I mean, it's not like you didn't bathe. You had, you just used nature.
1: Right? Yes. Well... Yeah. You know, as obviously you're hosting me here in Los Angeles. I was in your shower this morning and I was actually thinking about the time that I went a thousand days without showering just a couple hours ago. And I was thinking I wouldn't I wouldn't be doing that if I was here in this location because water is extremely important. And to not be having that refreshingness of water each day. But what I would do, there's two options if I lived right here, I'd be harvesting rainwater and I'd store a lot of rainwater and I'd do rainwater showers um, because then that water would just be watering a garden in the backyard. And you would be amazed at how much water that you can harvest off of one roof. So that's one thing. But secondly, the big thing is that you have to design your life around what's most important, your priorities. And for me, water and bathing, and swimming in water is my medicine. It's my presence. It's my health and happiness. So I just designed my life where I don't need a shower because I am around oceans or lakes or rivers, water that I can get into most of my life. I don't go too far from the water because the water is... It's my medicine. It's so in, It's so important to me.
0: Water is life. Well, but you're a dude. Like, you know, what happens to a girl? Like,
1: you your
0: hair. And it's like a little bit more involved, yes, I think.
1: It is. And that's where um, I guess the really beautiful thing is the many relationships that I have with women who also have managed to break free in their own way. You know, it is definitely easier for men, but the number of female friends that I have that are living the same lifestyle where they're swimming and they're, you know, decided that no longer is makeup or doing hair or things like this a priority or important. And it requires overcoming more societal stigmas and more judgment. And uh, because it's, you know, our society has placed way more of a burden on women in the expectations of those things. But you look at the hundreds of thousands of women with beautiful flowing armpit hair around the United States and the leg hair and they've broken free and they they're they they have not used deodorant or cleaning products and, and they they have love and they have you know they, so it's another way of being and it steps outside of the style norms but they're there
0: okay you know how I broke free of hair armpit hair and leg hair laser hair removal people <laughs> I can't. I can't. I wouldn't be able to grow hair like that. Anyway, so I did laser hair removal, so now I don't have to deal with any of that. But, you know, I take short showers. I don't wash my hair all the time. I mean, with COVID, I barely showered. I mean, I would forget how many days went by without showering. When I went on my plastic pollution expedition Mm. on the boat for 21 days, it was actually such an undertaking to shower that I just... I think I showered twice. Was it cold there? It was very cold. And luckily it could wear my little ski cap. So, you know, just the end of my hair was showing. So it didn't matter.
1: Did anyone Um, ever go swimming in the ocean out there?
0: They did early on. And I'm so sorry. I didn't Mm. go. I was scared. There were like barracudas or something in the water, but it was such a deep area. Mm. And I, you know, next time i would definitely go because that's just like a you know once in a lifetime thing it was very cool yeah but yeah so short for me it's short showers i don't shower every day i definitely don't wash my hair every day i can go 10 days without washing my hair and then i was doing like even with the toilet like you know if it's yellow let let it it mellow yeah but that doesn't always go over well with other people living in the house. Yeah. They're not always a big fan. <laughs>
1: yeah. No. No, I, I agree. That's where for me the compost toilet is key. I love I I, uh, I love and obviously I don't have one everywhere I go, but where when I live somewhere, I have a compost toilet because I don't actually like to pee into flush toilet waters, and I don't like to let it mellow if it's yellow because it kind of gets a little smelly. I like to pee, and then it goes to feeding bananas, and you're growing bananas with your pee. That's where it's at. Like it's That's where it's at where your poop is composted through, it's called humanure, like you mentioned earlier, and your poop ultimately turns into apples, obviously <laughs> through the soil. There's no poop in your apple, but every Everything we eat was partially created by poop and dying animals and dying plants and fungi breaking things down. It's all, it all, it, it all is in one form or another. And so for me to have that transformation right on site where I'm not sending this resource because I say resource, our poop and pee is not waste. It's only waste once we choose to call it that. In permaculture, there's a saying which is waste is just a resource out of place. They're all resources. And for me, my poop and my pee, that's a resource to grow food. And instead of it being the problem, it's the solution, which is another big thing in permaculture is that Let the problem be the solution.
0: That's amazing. So I read that there's like 12 principles of permaculture. So you you studied permaculture now.
1: Yeah, I mean, I took my permaculture design certificate back in 2016, and I would definitely recommend it. It's a very eye-opening way of looking at the world. I mean, I just remember one thing that I learned, like, imagine a tree. You have this solid, solid organism. Imagine like a redwood that's five, six feet wide, bigger than this trash suit. And the car. it's built with carbon. And you think like this tree is being created by the ground, but it's actually sucking carbon out of the air. And that's what turns into the tree trunk. The tree trunk is coming from thin air and that's one of the things that i look at with permaculture is it's actually like really deeply like thinking about our systems and and so it's about systemic change it's about questioning our systems it's not just about growing food it's about uh, reshaping our society and our communities and um it's a powerful it's a powerful thing that i would definitely recommend to people to to look into and to learn some permaculture ways
0: that's amazing. Yeah, the there was that movie. I don't know if you saw it, The Biggest Little Farm.
1: Oh yeah, very inspiring. And
0: that was when you said this: the problems becoming the solutions. Mm. Like they, they really did that. They kind of like on the job training and learned how to do that in their seven years of making this farm completely regenerative. Yeah amazing
1: yeah i think that the the ducks eating the snails you know the problem was snails then what did they do they brought in ducks which actually ate the snails that didn't have any work for them and then the ducks probably brought in some revenue of somehow whether it was (laughs) eggs or eating them i don't remember
0: But yeah very cool so we've got this trash suit we're on day thirty. We're gonna um so you're gonna do some talks and I'm so excited that you were here to share this with me because being being on our, our dumpster dive many years ago and then you wrote books, wait you wrote books. Dude oh, yeah. making a difference with your bike.
1: Yep.
0: Your um, bike tour. And yep. then um you have a new children's book. Tell yes. us about that. I yep. really enjoyed it. I think yeah. even though you have it geared towards children and it's not like toddler children, yeah you know, I think everybody can read it as a with little, little nuggets and gifts in there. Of Good. some things. Yeah, it was really, really well done.
1: Good. Yeah, so that book's called Be the Change. And as you know, it's uh, basically my call to action for for kids to, to be the change that they wish to see. And it basically... You know, I mentioned that I awoke in 2011 and started to learn about how all the ways I was interacting with the earth were causing destruction. Well, that's what this book is, is that it shares all the ways that that we interact with the earth and how they cause destruction. So it shares the problem. Each chapter starts with the problem. Then it's what have I done to raise awareness about it and um, show that another way is possible. And then the third portion of the chapter is what are the solutions? What can you do? So it's it's very it's it's meeting them in in real life. I'm not telling these children that everything's fine and everything's gonna be fine. I'm I'm honest that we're in a difficult times um but then it comes up with fun ways to to get that inspiration and excitement and then how they can personally make positive changes to to live the life that they want if this is what they want I mean, it's not it's not for everybody, but a lot of people now are waking up. A lot of kids don't want to destroy the earth. They love the earth, and so this book is kind of a guidebook on how, how to be the change that they wish to see.
0: You know, the kids are such a, a driving force, you know, with with caring for the earth. Do you find, as you talk to people, is it all ages? Do you find it a younger age group? Everyone. or It's
1: everyone. I, I believe today that so many people want to reconnect with the earth. They, there's a certain level of happiness in consumerism and there's a certain level of like achieving success. And, you know, there's, but at the same time, I think so many people know it's not, it's not enough. They're not feeling whole. They're not feeling complete. And so many people want to really, they want to, feel real purpose. And they're not feeling it with the consumerism from little kids that are a couple years old up to people that are 90 and are just sort of waking up. I've seen it across everywhere. People are waking up and, and they're wanting to change and many people are. And that's one of the things that keeps me going is that my work and the work of so many people like yourself, so many activists, so many educators... We are helping to shift society. And sure, consumerism is still growing and it is on the rise. But if we weren't doing anything, where would we be? And I find it, I find what's happening worth it because I simply believe that life matters. I value life. I value my life. I value your life. I value life of all all the animals and the plants and the fungi we share this earth with. And I can't do anything that's going to be solving everything. But I, as one person, can live in a way that improves the quality of life of people around me and helps others to do the same. And that's meaningful. Whether the earth goes down in flames or not, that is a meaningful existence. And that's what I'll continue to do and inspire and help other people to continue to do that as well.
0: Well, you have a very important message and you definitely walk the walk. Even though it's hard to walk the walk in a suit. But I think, you know, if anything that COVID did, I mean, many things, you know, good and bad. But when you're not allowed to go outside, you want to be outside, Mm. you know, taking walks, taking you kind of I think it shifted people's perspective to see things differently. And even as you know, you're talking about downsizing, you know, I, I was traveling a lot for work. I haven't been on a plane since February of 2020, so I've been saving uh, saving on the energy there as well. But when I did go someplace, if I'd go for 10 days or two weeks, you know, you pack for that amount, and I'm in my hotel room, and I feel like sometimes like, well, I could have just lived with that, right? Whatever, Because you bring your favorite things, the things that you need, and that's what you have. And so if that's all I had... I would probably be okay.
1: Yeah, we would be okay with a lot less.
0: (laughs) So it's just something to think about. And when I'm looking at you... With all the things that you have consumed, many of them I know you probably don't actually eat or drink in in I, IRL in real life. Yep. Um, it's interesting to see and the amount of packaging that we have. Like, how are we going to move forward with less single use packaging? Right, like yep. just the bottles of your Gatorade or even the water bottles, which you can't see here on the on the corner. Um, And the coffee cup, so during COVID, I used to, I didn't go out for coffee every day, but I went out, you know, I'm driving, going someplace, I'd stop and grab a coffee, and I'd ask for no lid, and no, you know, nothing extra, or if I had my coffee cup with me, I would, you know, use the coffee cup, bring mine in. Now you can't really do that, someplace, they're really not really allowing that, so I've been drinking my coffee at home, but I discovered... I like my coffee at home so much better Mm, than spending $7 on a coffee when Mm, you go out. I mean, well, my latte thingy, but you
1: know. And then you've got more money to do more meaningful things rather than the really expensive coffees.
0: So obviously you choose to care with everything that you do. So what, I mean, I know there's plenty that you could ask people to join in with, but what are three things that the listeners could Maybe try to start to choose to care with.
1: Yeah, I'd say number one is composting our food waste and turning that in the soil rather than putting it in the landfill. Number two would be walking more and riding a bike more and driving less. It's a really great way to connect with the earth and get exercise that's good for us at the same time. And I would say number three would be looking at our trash and seeing the ways that we're creating it that we could easily change whether it's a reusable coffee cup or a reusable bottle looking at our garbage and just seeing which ways that we can make positive change to not be filling up our garbage can so much.
0: And those are fairly easy things to do. And here's the visual to see what happens when you don't do that. So <laughs> exactly. Thank you so much and thank you for choosing to care. Oh big hug oh my god <laughs>
1: Thank you always for your support and your oh kind my gosh. kindness. I'm for- always
0: here for you. Always, <laughs> always. It's great. So thank you, Rob Greenfield. You can find him, uh, Rob your .org, yes? Yep. RobGreenfield.org um, on all the socials. And I am Tiffany Page, Green with Tiffany. Uh, until next time. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show. Please rate, review, subscribe, and share on Apple Podcasts. It would mean the world to me. You can find me at greenwithtiffany.com and on Instagram. Till next time, choose to care.